just going to make sure we're recording. Let me just, oh, there we go. Thank you, Patrick. There will be a committee of the whole meeting on Monday, November 16th from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. by Zoom. The purpose of this meeting is to discuss and review the board, the before and after school programs pursuant to Governor Baker's March 12, 2020 order suspending certain provisions of the open meeting law. Chapter 30A, Section 18, and the Governor's March 15, 2020 order imposing strict limitations of the number of people that may gather in one place. This meeting of the Memphis School Committee will be conducted via remote participation to the greatest extent possible. Specific information and the general guidelines for remote participation by members of the public and or parties with a right and a requirement to attend this meeting can be found on the City of Medford website. For this meeting, members of the public who wish to listen or watch the meeting may do so by accessing the meeting link contained herein. No in-person attendance of members of the public will be permitted, but every effort will be made to ensure that the public can adequately access the proceedings in real time via technological means. In the event that we are unable to do so, despite best efforts, we will post on the City of Medford or Medford Community Media websites an audio or video recording, transcript, or other comprehensive record of proceedings as soon as possible after the meeting. The meeting can be viewed on Comcast Channel 22 or Verizon Channel 43 at 5 p.m. Additionally, comments or questions can be submitted during the meeting by emailing medfordsc at medford.k12.ma.us. Those submitting must include the following information, your first and last name, your Medford Street address, your question or comment. There will be a committee of the whole meeting on Monday, November 16th from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. by Zoom. The purpose of the meeting is to discuss and review the before and after school programs offered at Medford Public Schools. Report to be given by Megan Fiddler Carey. Um, signed, Dr. Maurice Edward Vincent, Superintendent of the Medford Public Schools. Good evening, all. I think Good evening. Megan, there you are, Ms. Fidlokari. Make sure you have co-host ability if you need to share your screen. I do not have co-host ability. Um, Did I miss attendance? I'm sorry, I had to pop off. Should, um, should I call the roll? Yes, please, while we... Okay, uh, so Jenny Graham? Here. Kathy Kreft? Here. Melanie McLaughlin? Here. Mia Mastone? Here. Paul Russo? Here. Paulette Vanderclute present? And Mayor Lungo Kern? Present, seven present, zero absent. Um, Ms. Fidlukeri, we just made you a co-host. You should be able to present now. Okay. Thanks for your patience. No problem. Hello, and uh, thank you for the opportunity to, to share. I'm looking forward to it. Um, so I'll jump right in so we have time. Um, okay. Um, so for Medford before and after school programs. So the first thing to say is that, as you all know, um, we determined this summer uh, that we couldn't safely, equitably, and consistently offer our before school programs. So though we, I oversee before and after school programs, which we are delighted to usually be able to offer to families for before and after school care, um, this year we realized it just wasn't feasible to offer the before school program. So that, that one hour a day is just not 
for this way. And again, we're not alone in this. Um, other districts don't, I only found two other districts that are offering before school and their, their counts are very, very low. They have minimal um, participation. So that's the before school update. Um, as after school, however, I was delighted that we were able to offer um, after school programming right from right out of the gate. So as soon as the um, dates were set for kindergartners to come back to school, we reached out to all of our families and let them know that we would be ready to offer after school. Um, there was only one school where there were enough students to make it um, attractive to families to, to sign up. Uh, the other three schools, there we have kindergartners enrolled, but they realized there would only be one or two students that day. So they said, you know what, we'll just wait till the first and second graders come back. So though we were, um, though we only had one school open that first week when kindergarten operated, we had offered it to families in all four schools, but it was just low enrollment. So right now at all four schools, um, K through five, we have students enrolled um, who want to take advantage of it. Um, so Ms. fiddler Carey, I did pull up the slide. I don't know if you want me to start it for you. Oh, can you guys not see my screen? No, we couldn't see it at all. Oh my gosh, I'm totally going through the slide deck right now. <laughs> okay, let me let me stop share and let you do it. Okay. Well, but not if it's not working. Maybe it makes more sense for you okay. to share it if it's not okay. working on my end. I will share. Perfect. That's okay. strange. Sorry about that. Okay. Okay. Um. So okay, this yes, this is perfect. So. Um, as you know, registrations were delayed uh, in the spring last year. We usually register by April 1st. We have um, registrations in full swing and closing. Um, that's when the big um, registration lottery was to take place, but that was delayed. Uh, so that happened, that was finished by mid-June. But then I did, as I've told you before, um, as in order to get as many students as possible for any of those that had registered for Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we had another one that was Tuesday, Thursday, that could count as a single slot. So at this point, our total registered, you'll see is 427 as of August. Um, and I'll let you take a moment to take a look at those numbers. I will point out that I think that these numbers are actually a little bit deflated. I think that there were families, um, especially at the Columbus and McGlynn, who would have registered if it was a normal year. So if this was a year where um, we had students in school and we were able to see families face to face, um, or I was able to meet with them at the Parent Information Center that we would have had more families register. So despite our best efforts to get communication out, you know, with your advising and using all of our, um, our neighbors and different uh, stakeholders and spreading the word, um, I think there are still a lot of families who might've taken advantage of this who didn't. So these wait, these waitlist numbers are deflated. Okay, so this is where we are. That's okay, you can go to the next one. So this is where we are now. We currently have 114 students across the four schools. If you do this quick math, you'll notice that that equals 116. And that's because two of the students we have are from our four day program. There are students in our special population who attend all four days. Um, so this only represents 27% of those who had registered for the spring. So we're down. You'll notice the Columbus is our smallest and that's for a variety of reasons. I think that that's probably mirrors closely the enrollment for the day school. So many of our after school students opted for full remote, which um, I think is really worth looking into. We reached out to those families and I'm sure the schools have too. Um, 
but they, you know, it's remote for a variety of reasons, but some of them I really was hoping to see both in school and after school. So I think that's concerning. Um, and in fact, our numbers are so low at Columbus that we only operate for cohort B, um, are only open on the Monday, Tuesday, because only three students had signed up for the Thursday, Friday, and they were from such separate grades. Um, so we, we spoke to the parents and gave them the option and they all decided, they said, you know, the reason that they want after school is mostly for socialization. And so since there weren't kids from the same grade, they opted out. Sorry about that. No, that's okay. So I wondered if this was, if you wanted me to take a break here to talk about enrollment before we moved on to the other sort of state of the program. Were there any questions? Does anybody have any questions for Ms. Fidler-Carey? Member McLaughlin? Thank you. Um, yeah, I didn't know if you wanted to wait till the end or have the questions through each portion. So um, I'm happy to go with each portion if you'd like. Um, for um, Megan, thanks for this report. For the students that are enrolled, the 114 students, is there any data collection around how many of those students are um, among our most vulnerable population? I did, just hear, I did just hear you say two of the students are from cohort A because they come four days a week. Mm -hmm. um, is it, is it only two out of the 114? Yes, at this point, yeah. Okay, and it, has that data been collected prior to COVID, do you know? Um, yeah, yes. So those are from our students that signed up um, from cohort A, those from the, the special populations, yes, that data was collected, but we haven't looked at it currently to figure out which of the current students that are coming you know, what other, you know, if they're not from that cohort A, we haven't looked at what Okay, I guess I'm interested in knowing, um, especially just because you're talking, you talked about a lot of the reason for after school for families is for yeah. socialization. And I know that, you know, certainly that our uh, special education subcommittee is working on building friendships and community and socialization for that cohort specifically. Um, so I'm wondering, so two out of the 114 is 1.75% of after school um, our students in this and at least it looks like in this data are uh, students with disabilities or that, or that high needs, uh, most vulnerable population. So I guess I'd be curious how that compares to, to pre COVID. I don't know if you have that info or if you can, if you can get it. And then the other is, is there anything in the um, application? Where does the application live? And then is there anything in the application that speci specifies for families, if there are reasonable accommodations or if your child has a disability you know, let us know. There is on the, right on the application, there's a check off, just a check box to say, yep. does my student have a 504 or does my student have an IP? Those check boxes are there. Right. And then I have worked with Joan Bowen to sit down to make sure that it's appropriate for me to have permissions. Um, but that's our sort of, we determined that that's our sign off for families, that they know that I will be checking that. So that once I see that check, I go and pull that up and talk to my leadership staff about it so that we know what the accommodations are with the families. Yeah, that'd be great, Megan. I guess I just want to know, does it say, does your child have an IEP or a 504? Or does it say, does your child require reasonable accommodations? Because, you know, there's a difference. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'd be curious about that, just so that sure. we're making it as inclusive as possible for all families. So if you could, could let me know, um, so it says the former, but I, I'm happy to add 
the does the question. Okay, that would be great. And if, if you need support around language, I'm sure CPAC or Joan or anybody would be help would be helpful around that. Okay. And then I'm thinking of the two um, in the 114 again the comparison data because I'm curious as to how many of our students with disabilities, English learners, um, you know, families with significant need are able to participate in the after school program, even pre COVID. I know that COVID sort of skews the numbers altogether, but I think it's an interesting comparison. Um, so I'd love to sort of see if there's the, you know, pre COVID and post COVID numbers as well, because certainly two out of 114 is really, really low. Um, and so is this material also for the, um, I know you said spreading the information out to the community to get people to enroll, um, has there been translation opportunities for getting that information out to families? Yes, there was. So I realized I should clarify that we have only offered after school currently to the families who were enrolled. So it was, so if they were only if they had registered by August, so they were on our original list. Okay. So this didn't then go out again right. to families, you know, even though you look and our numbers at Columbus are low and you think, oh, well, maybe some of the students there for two reasons. Um, we wanted to be there for our registered families first, since they, you know, by rights had the spot and second, um, you know, staffing problems as usual. So in, originally, yes, we did put the translation. We had it in different languages um, in the parent information center, um, you know, which then of course didn't get physically used, but um, yes, we were. Yeah, I guess I'd be interested in yeah, I'd be interested in the push out to families for that information, especially if we have families that are in this hybrid situation and then obviously aren't coming into the parent information center. So again, just thinking about the inclusive inclusivity piece of it is is really um, what I'm what I'm interested in. I know that you are too. You've been really great about um, responding and 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 thinking about that. And then for the students, if a student required support, additional staffing support, how would that work? Would that be something that they would reach out to you um, in terms of the checklist for needs additional accommodations or is that, and then you would in turn work with the special education department or, or I guess I'm curious about how the staffing might work. So yeah, that's something, you know, again, post COVID we've always had staffing challenges. Um, so it would be something that we would, you know, work with the special education department to say, to make sure it was something that we could get training for if it was for my staff or hopefully hire a para who was trained. Yeah. Um, but those are the challenges that we've, you know, we're always facing. Yeah. And we definitely want to be, as a school committee member, I'd like to definitely be kept up to date on that. I know that we met last year about challenges for students being able to participate, especially we particularly had one family, if I recall, talking about, you know, homework support for a student with learning challenges and how that can actually be supported and work. So that might be around training or development. And I know that's all different from, from the COVID piece, but so my concern is, you know, clearly the numbers of our more marginalized students, because I'm sure we have lots of families that would like to participate or, um, and I'm wondering sort of about that low enrollment. Um, but I think that again, COVID is skewing those numbers, but also it'd be in that, which is why I think it's interesting to do a comparison of the data uh, pre-COVID and post-COVID and see if, you know, um, those numbers are skewed. And I'd also be interested in just knowing, and do you keep data? Is there any part of this data that also breaks down a demographic? So just in terms of, you know, all the demographics that we have at a district level, do we have any of that at the after-school level? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm happy to look into. Yeah. Okay. Start, start, yeah. So I'll circle back with you on that. Yeah, okay. please do. Thank okay. you. All right.
Misfit Look Harry, right now it's a 114. As of August, it was the 427. Do you, what were the numbers last year? Oh, you're on mute. Hold on a second. Yes, we were so we were at about 440 oh. last year. Thank you. Yeah. And again, keeping in mind, that's 440 individual students, not spots. So, you know, a student might be there for two days or five days. Right. So the different days skews those numbers. Thank you. So um, just a reminder. What Chair, before we continue, I had a couple of questions. Oh, sorry, Member Graham, I can't, I couldn't see you. Member Graham. That's okay. Um, on your first slide, Megan, you say that the school committee decided that the before school programs would not operate. And I feel like that is an oversimplification of how we evolved to this. So I don't recall that we ever took a vote to exclude before school, but instead it was part of the work of the collaborative task force. So um, if you could just make an update to reflect that this work, this was not a unilateral decision by this committee, but instead it was a recommendation via the task force reopening um, that occurred in the summer, that would be great. Um, and then am I correct in assuming that anybody who is on the wait list has been cleared into the pro into after school if they wanted to be at this point or no? Um, um, we have a Zoom crasher. So um, the it, it's worked out that the, the you know the first couple of people who I've been able to on wait lists, um, were let in, but then the next several, there are several people on the wait list who had opted for full remote. Um, so there's one family that I had to say uh, that I that I gave them a spot for this year only because where they fall on the wait list is after a lot of people who had opted for full remote or who had said they didn't want the spot right now. Um, so I gave it to them with the, um, the caveat that it was for this year only and that they would keep their spot on the wait list, but that there were other people in front of them for next year. Um, but the, the wait lists are not cleared. There's still people who were on them before still have their same spots. Um, does that but, if, but if they want to come to after school, they can. Correct. Yeah. Well, they, they correct if there's if there's space in that group. So if we're only at 27% capacity, how would there not be space? Uh, it depends which group. So like at the, the Brooks, for example, um, you know, because we, we have fewer staff members. Um, so we're, we're not letting in 26 students each day. We're letting in, so the, the hybrids are dividing the, fam the classes in half. So we're typically in a group, we allow 26 students because the state ratio is one to 13. So we usually have two staff members per group. So 26 students. But with COVID, those, it worked out really nicely that it was about half and half in, for the biggest groups. So say the Brooks, where we've got 26 students at every level, K1, 2, 3, 4, 5, um, on a given day. That worked out nicely so that there are 13, but that works for the staff being, we're keeping it one to, around 1 to 10, 1 to 13. So we have fewer staff as well. Okay. Got it, thank you. Yeah. Okay, I think we were back on, yes, the, 
th these slides. This one or the one before. Thank you. There you go. So you've you've all seen this these numbers all before. Um, this is these are our rates. Um, and as I did in the, the spring, I had done a comparison with other NEDS districts. And for people who are new to watching this, the network of extended day directors, um, I work closely with them to compare best practices. So this year, of course, um, except for those students in cohort A, most families are just paying this $208 a month for the two days a week because we're only charging for the days that they use. So they're guaranteed their schedule that they signed up for the spring, but um, right now they're using for the days when they're in school. So oh, and a reminder that uh, we have an 8% discount for siblings. Okay, next slide. If we keep, so this, um, the, the tuition discussion here is in response to something that came up in the spring. Last year, we talked about different um, tuition ideas. So currently, this is what we charge for tuition. Um, we accept vouchers from the state. We have limited scholarships from a grant that we got from the community development block grant. Um, so if we keep everything the same, tuition will increase as it does every year by 3%. Um, this is what it'll look like. And that 3% comes from the state increase. So the, the state increase for what they'll reimburse for vouchers um, is the, theirs is the 3% increase. So that's where we got that percentage. So next slide, please. Um, again, we also accept vouchers and our scholarship um, from Child Care Circuit um, through the uh, Department of Early, Early Education and Care. Um, as I was starting to say in the spring, EEC has now um, really changed their requirements for programs that take vouchers. It's a rigorous background check, which is excellent. We want to have rigorous background checks, but our district already does a very rigorous background check to have anybody work with students. And unfortunately, what these requirements are is a duplication. So for my staff who, you know, works, they don't make teacher pay, they're having to get fingerprinted twice, or I'm having to fill out, you know, lots and lots of pages of forms, one for each program too, duplications of forms that require another, a copy of the inspection report and a copy of the fire report, where I've tried to push back to say, you know, these are schools, you are from the department that works with schools, they've already been signed off to have students during the day, but I still have to you know, provide, uh, furnish all of this evidence. So it's become laborious. Um, consequently, many of our NEDS partner, NEDS not partners, but the other NEDS districts have opted not to take vouchers. So we only had 14 students last year who accepted, who took vouchers. And right now, currently we only have four. So it's a lot of work for um, very few families where I think that we could serve more families, maybe ones who couldn't get a voucher because they were in on a wait list or they just didn't um, qualify. And maybe we could help them better if we did some sort of other sliding scale option. Um, next slide. So some kids considerations that we've look, we've been looking into were the sliding fee scale and many, most of the other districts from NEDS who do a sliding scale, they peg the percentage to the free and reduced lunch eligibility. So while very few um, have families get free after school, it's a very reduced rate. Um, and then the percentage, so say somebody pays 25% of the lunch cost because that's what they're eligible for, Maybe it would be the same. We'd look at 25% of the after-school cost. So we'd have to really sit down and think about um, how much a full tuition, full fair tuition would cost. And then free and reduced lunch would be a percentage of that. Um, you had 
we talked about in the spring that I would sit down and put together numbers for this. Um, but as you'll recall, we were losing a director of finance and gaining a new assistant superintendent of finance. So I haven't had a chance to sit down with David Murphy yet. Um, I'm sure you're not surprised. His plate's been pretty full, um, but it is, it's on the radar. We have um, a plan to meet soon. So this is one of the several things we'll be reviewing is really coming up with a way, an, an option for a sliding scale to present to you. Um, Cause I think that that's really the better way to go. That's my recommendation. Of course, I'll, you know, let you all decide. Um, next. Um, so May I just really ask a question on the sliding scale, Mayor? Yes, Member McLaughlin, please back you. up a slide. Thank you. Cool. And I guess, yeah, I guess I just was wondering, when you were talking about the laborious nature of the of the other process for the vouchers, I'm wondering, you know, as you're deciding on the sliding scale, you know, keeping in mind how that can be, you know, less laborious, like what is that process actually going to be and who's actually going to be doing it? I know that you said you'll talk with David, but um, I think that that could also, you know, quickly get cumbersome. So I think it has to be, you know, comparison to other districts and what they're doing might be helpful. Oh. It's true, and it, 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 I have considered that it might even be more because, you know, it's showing that we will then have to do the work that currently Child Care Circuit is doing, determining eligibility. So um, that's, that's definitely true. I definitely want to be careful that we're not asking families to have to provide any proof of income um, or asking anybody to show documentation. That's, a, that's somewhere where I don't even want to go, but that's why Pegging it to the free and reduced lunch is something that's already happening. So, um, you know, that's where I would have to work closely with the finance office and even with the cafeteria managers to think about what that looks like and how we determine that. Um, I'll take other questions, but I definitely want to have it said out loud that um, as I always do, I need to, this is not me presenting. I, I really want to thank my leadership staff and certainly the staff that have come to work that um, do feel comfortable or have the ability to come to work during COVID times. Um, there were a lot who were not able to, and we really miss them. Um, we keep in touch with them, but my leadership team, Cheryl Alpers, Dale Ciavati, Maureen McCarthy, Kathy Hunt, and Kathleen Keenan are, they're just the greatest. And we, all must be very grateful to them. But um, also I've, I've had a chance to substitute teach in at the Roberts School and see these the teachers and custodians and nurses and you guys, everybody's doing such a wonderful job that I'm excited to be public to say thank you to them. So thank you for letting me. Megan, you do have a great team, I have to say. You know, um, Maureen McCarthy was our child's um, family daycare, our older two, and they're 19 and 17 now. So she's got 20 plus years experience in childcare and she's really phenomenal. So the Columbus is lucky to have her. And I know Kathy's been around for a long time. You do, you have a really great team. You're very fortunate. Mayor. Keep me in line. Member Van de Kloot. Yes, I just also wanted to say thank you um, very much, Megan, and also to uh, not only your team leaders, but all the teachers and staff of the after school program who are keeping it going. Um, it's really, uh, and thank you for your clear and concise presentation tonight. Um, Member Graham. Um, so I know that we've talked about this alternative funding structure in the past, and I appreciate that there's been a lot going on. Um, but this is 
I think this is important. I think we need to make some decisions about um, how we will pay for, how we will charge for after school going forward. Um, and we need to do it earlier than we've done it in the past. Um, the tuition requires a vote of this committee um, according to the advice of our attorney. And I'm not comfortable taking a vote to just change the price by 3% because we've always done it. Like, I think that's actually maybe the worst reason to do it again. Um, but I think the whole intention of these meetings where we were diving into these programs is to actually understand the nature of the revolving accounts themselves. And so this is the second one we've had now where we actually haven't talked about the financials at all. So if we're not ready to talk about the financials, I think that's fine. We, but I know we have a backlog of um, committee of the whole meetings to have. So maybe some sort of like reshuffling would allow the finance team time to actually be able to put together those financial reviews of the revolving accounts. Um, I would definitely be in favor of taking a look at um, what pegging to the free and reduced lunch um, eligibility would might look like. But I think we've also talked about is our is our price right as compared to the other providers in our community. So um, when you look at what's happening um, in dark communities or across the Commonwealth, um, it's not necessarily an apples to apples comparison. And so I think the last time we talked about this, we also talked about looking at our rates versus some of the other local providers to understand sort of where we fall um, here locally. And I feel like if we're gonna make decisions about changing our financial structure, and if we're actually going to do a financial review of this revolving account and really understand what goes on there, um, we should be looking at that as a comprehensive discussion, um, because if we make one-off decisions about those pieces, um, we could be surprised by the totality of our decision. So um, I would like to see us do that um, in earnest, look at the P&L, understand what's in the financial, um, in the revolving accounts, how that works, what is our rate, and, and to kind of move forward from there, but to do so early um, and not super late. Um, one thing that came up um, in our communication subcommittee last last week, or may, or perhaps it was um, uh, it was sort of at the end of the meeting. But one of the comments about kindergarten specifically is that um, extended care is a an attractive reason why people choose to go to charter schools in our community. Um, and somebody after the meeting commented to me that not only is it attractive because the day is a bit longer um, at, at those schools. So if you are looking for childcare, that's a consideration. But the other thing um, that somebody shared with me last week was that it's also incredibly late in the game to hear from us about whether there's a space for my kindergartner at school. So we've, we talked a lot about changing the timeline around kindergarten registration. Um, but this person was pointing out that we should not leave after school and before school registration out of that um, accelerated loop because it could mean the difference between um, losing incoming kindergartners to charter schools or not. Um, and as it stands right now, people don't know about after school until pretty late in the game um, when they actually already have had to make decisions about the charter school if they got in through lottery. So, um, we'll talk about that kindergarten timeline when we talk about the minutes of the communications meeting, but 
I think food for thought for this group for after school is when should we start that registration process? Um, what should those rates be? And how do we do that financial review that we were um, planning to do on this topic all along? Mr. Murphy? Thank you, Mayor. The financial review of each of the accounts is ongoing. As you know, the, the um, management solution group that the uh, committee retained in the spring or early summer uh, is in the um, what I believe are the final stages of putting together that audit. And it, it will, um, I, I do anticipate that it will include some level of analysis as to the state of the various revolving accounts. It is, uh, I, I can answer some questions about the revolving account um, with regard to before and after school programs uh, as it, its current financial position or what we estimate its financial position to be as I did for the Kids Corner uh, a couple of weeks ago. But um, it, does, it does seem as though that um, there's a fair degree of complexity as to how the revolving accounts have historically been structured and used. So um, that is in part why um, there's not a higher level of detail with regard to um, the, the current state of the revolving account, but if there, if there are questions, I'm happy to, to try to answer them. Could you give us, uh, I was gonna ask the same question um, along the same lines. Can you give us a refresher on even last year's numbers, what, what was in the revolving account and you know what we add to it throughout the year and what the expenses out are? Yeah, so the, the number that I have <clears throat> right now is approximately $830,000 um, for a, a total, a total uh, budget that FY20 ended with 871 actually um, was the, the uh, where we ended on June 30th of uh, fiscal year 2020. Um, there's been $16,000, almost $17,000 collected in revenue to date, which obviously would be um, not that you know, I was uh, Megan pointed out that the participation is is significantly lower, so that that's reflected in that number. But um, what myself, the district comptroller, and uh, Mr. Paquette have been looking at more recently is um, how how is it that the that the funding is that robust, and and what is how does that compare? Um, year over year, and there, we, we do have some open questions about that that um, we'll be uh, working with the rest of the district staff to try to um, come, come to some more solid conclusions on in the coming weeks. Um, is, and the, uh, I'm sorry, I think you asked about the expenses. The estimated for FY21, which I, I think was anticipating a full year with, with more robust participation would be uh, for a little under five hundred thousand dollars in, um, check that again. But um, so it looks like about in part-time salaries, the appropriation was four hundred sixty-eight thousand dollars, and that was by far the largest, um, the largest expense. And that 871 number, is that taking into account the reimbursement we gave to families for March through June, the end of June? That was what the, the what was 
budgeted as being in the revolving account on June 30th. And so I would infer from that that it did include any any refunds that had been issued. But um, that is a piece that I think we we haven't identified the full uh, documentation of that of those re of those refunds, um, which is why we need a little more time to identify uh, exactly what the history there is. So maybe you could pull for the for the future. You could pull the numbers from fiscal year nineteen, um, money in and money out, just to give us an idea of how self sufficient that program is. Yep. I got Thank you, um, Member Van Kloot. From signing the bills, um, I believe that I was really doing refunds during the summer and not before. Um, I don't, I don't think that they were ready yet earlier. That's my recollection is a lot of refunds really came, um, you know, so that the numbers really do need to be looked at be because of that. Any other questions from the committee? We refunded approximately um, 109. Thousand close to one hundred and ten thousand dollars to the before and after school program. That was the amount when every um, on the and that happened. Um, it was in late late June that I saw what the refund amount was. So um, I I do think that probably took place during the summer months. So we definitely just need to wait for that. But it was a significant. That was the largest amount of reimbursements as opposed to Kids Corner, which was a significantly smaller number um, of students, uh, families that were reimbursed. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Mayor? So I think we're going to over Rousseau. Thank you. I just had a quick question. Um, Ms. Carey, um, is the 8% sibling uh, discount, uh, I mean, I don't have any problem with the sibling discount. I'm just wondering how does that compare to other districts? And I realize when we get to comparisons, that's certainly uh, something we can get into, but it seems like something you'd know off the top of your head. So uh, you're muted. Sorry, it is the same. Um, and that's, it's, that's where we got the number several years ago. Um, it was the same when I worked in Revere. Um, but again, I agree that just because it was always that way doesn't mean it's not worth revisiting. So if we have some ideas or if we find some other places that are doing something different, I definitely think we should look at it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for your good work. Thanks, Paul. So it looks like we're going to get an um, update on the fiscal year 19 money in, money out, so we can evaluate the account. And then we're also going to have Ms. Fidlucari and Mr. Murphy, over the next month or two, get together, or probably sooner than that, so we can take a vote on next year's pricing, get together and give us some additional options to hopefully vote on sometime around the new year. Is, do you want to put that into a motion or is- I'll make a motion. A motion by Member Vandekloot, seconded by- Can we clarify the motion, please, point of information? Sure. Just. I suggested that we get a full accounting of fiscal year 19, which is our last normal year of money in, money out, so we can evaluate that. 
Um, and then member Graham asked the question with regards to um, recalculating pricing based on a scale. So we're gonna have Ms. Murphy and Ms. Fiddler Carey do some, some work on that over the next 30 to 45 days. So that hopefully sometime after the new year, we'll be able to vote. Can I suggest a friendly amendment? Yes. Um, I would ask that we also, um, since we're getting the information that we also get the demographic piece that I had asked about earlier, um, that would be really helpful. So that would be divided by um, our most vulnerable, um, meaning our uh, English learners, uh, economically disadvantaged students with disabilities um, and persons of color really would be helpful. Thank you. Great, yes. Okay, so further amended by Member McLaughlin, motion to approve as amended by Member Van de Kloot, seconded by Second. Member Graham, roll call. Uh, Jenny Graham? Yes. Kathy Kretsch? Yes. Melanie McLaughlin? Yes. Mia Masson. Yes. Paul Rousseau. Yes. Vanderclute. Yes. Mayor Lungo Kern. Yes. Seven in the affirmative. Zero in the negative. The motion passes. Thank you, um, Ms. Fiddler Carey, and your team for all you do for our children. Thank you, Mr. Murphy, for working with Ms. Fiddler Carey over the next month or two um, for us. We appreciate it. We have our regularly scheduled meeting at six p.m. tonight. Um, is there a motion on the floor to adjourn? Motion to adjourn. By member Van Kloot, seconded by member McLaughlin. Roll call. Uh, Jenny Graham. Jenny. Yes. Yeah. Kathy yes. Melanie McLaughlin. Yes. Mia Mastone. Yes. Paul Rousseau. Yes. Paulette Van Kloot. Yes. Mayor Lungo Kern. Yes. Seven the affirmative, zero in the negative. Meeting is adjourned. There is a new link for the 6 p.m. meeting. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>